So we're talking about expectation. Because during Advent, we are living in a state of expectation. Christmas movies are all about expectation. If we remember last week, we talked about how Christmas movies all exist in five acts. Five acts. A Christmas movie always begins with the expectation being set. So in the Christmas story, the expectation is, this will be the Christmas that I get my Red Rider pump action air rifle with a compass in the stock. And the second part of every Christmas movie is that the expectation is bumped up a notch. If I just put the flyer here in my mother's life magazine, surely she'll get it. If I write to Santa asking for this air rifle, surely I'll get it. If I write my theme for my teacher on what I want for Christmas, surely I will get it. But then what happens in Act 3? Things start to go sideways. What does Santa say? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. In Act 4, the bottom falls out. Instead of a Red Rider pump action carbide air rifle with a compass in the stock, you get pink fuzzy bunny pajamas. But no Christmas movie is over until Act 5, when hope is restored and exceeded. All the presents have been opened, but there's that one hiding back in the corner. And it is a Red Rider pump action carbide air rifle with a compass in the stock. Our life is made up of expectation and reality. Um, I was just reading this week on, um, on strategies to cope with expectations not being met. Uh, and one of the things that they are instructing people to do is to go in pre-prepared with oh well statements. Has anyone heard of an oh well statement? No? Okay, well good. This is, okay, a few of you have. Um, it's this idea of recognizing our limitations to create the future we want. So, um, what psychologists and counselors tell their clients to do is to uh, have a game plan for when things go sideways, and part of that is to prepare an oh well statement. So, uh, for someone in my industry, uh, right, we, we may uh, expect to have, you know, a huge Christmas Eve uh, service with lots of people from the community to come, and, you know, it's great. Uh, but what happens sometimes on Christmas Eve? We get blizzards. And what we thought would be this huge Christmas Eve service where everyone would be happy and there'd be candlelight and carols and it would be beautiful uh, turns out being like the faithful 47. And what uh, you know, counselors of pastors tell them to, to do to prepare is to have an oh well statement ready to make sense of it. Oh well, pastor, you can't control the weather. None of it's about you anyway. 
And I sometimes wonder, for those who were awaiting the coming of Jesus, were they already living into their oh well statements? Because the Messiah hadn't come yet. And they were saying, oh well, maybe it's just not going to happen. When... um, When we think about what a prophet is and how prophets existed in the ancient world, uh, it's important for us to remember that there were thousands of prophets in the ancient world um, that we know nothing about. Because the office of prophet, um, a lot of them were essentially weathermen. Right? So, so, So when they talk about, you know, the 500 prophets of Baal and Um, You know, the the prophets of the Babylonian king and this sort of thing. Uh, Pretty much every royal advisor um, who watched weather patterns and helped getting uh, crops in the ground at the right time and out of the ground at the right time uh, and helped the king to decipher what they should do strategically in war, they all carried this title, prophet. But the Bible remembers the story of only a handful of prophets because there's something special about the prophets that are remembered in, in the biblical account. Um, so let's, let's start looking at some of these books of prophecy and see uh, what maybe hold them together. Um, so uh, let's start in Isaiah. Isaiah is sort of the the, the chief prophetic book of the Old Testament, because it's the longest. Um, and how does Isaiah start out? Uh, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reign of Uzziah, uh, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its own manager, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. So Isaiah is written uh, with this specific purpose of Israel needs correction. So God speaks specifically to Isaiah and says, Hey, I need you to go and tell my people they need correction. Uh, And specifically in Isaiah, we see it is these kings. Let's let's go to Jeremiah. What does Jeremiah say? Uh, In Jeremiah 2.5, This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of uh, deserts? I almost said deserts. Can you imagine that, a land of deserts? Talk about a land flown with milk and honey. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Uh, Through a land of deserts and ravines, a land uh, of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and lives, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. 
The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. Their leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols, and I bring charges against you again. I'm starting to sense a pattern. The prophets who make, whose stories make it into the biblical account are prophets who bring correction. Let's, let's, let's continue testing this. Let's, uh, let's go to Micah. Uh, in Micah, uh, let's see here, where, I'm on the wrong page. So the word of the Lord that came to Micah of uh, Morsheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahab, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Uh, Hear you peoples, all of you, listen, earth, all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you from his holy temple. Once again. This book of prophecy, this prophet is raised up to bring the people to account. In order to correct a way of living that is destructive. So, in the ancient world we have general prophets. The weathermen, the military advisors... Everyone who keeps track of uh, history and helps the king make wise decisions. And then we have these special prophets whose stories are told in the Old Testament. And they deal uh, directly with correction for either Israel or one of the uh, surrounding nations. But when we talk about Jesus being a prophet... There's, there's a third type of prophet in the Old Testament, and, um, and I think we can call this person the prophet. You know, so you have, uh, you know, prophets, we have prophets, and we have the prophet. Um, and this, this person is first, um, first told about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And here Moses writes, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. For this is what you asked the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of our Lord God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. And the Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. And then when we go to the end of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy ends with these words. Since then, so this is after the death of Moses, Joshua has been risen to power. Uh, The expectation was... You know, Moses would go, and then there would be an immediate successor. Uh, But what we read is that since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. So, the expectation has been set that along with a king who is coming who would be like David, 
who would have the military might to expand the borders, who would be like Solomon, who would be able to to ensure peace for the land, there's also going to be a prophet like Moses. A person who is so deeply in tune with God, who knows God face to face, who would do mighty acts and miracles, and would bring the nation back under God's commands. And we know that Israel continued looking for this person. Because Isaiah, as impressive as his prophetic career was, wasn't the prophet. Jeremiah wasn't the prophet. Uh, Amos and Jonah and Hezekiah and Hosea, none of them were the prophet. And we know this because in John chapter 1, they were asking John the Baptist, are you the prophet? In uh, verse 19 of John chapter 1, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer and take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Throughout the Gospel of John, we see the religious leaders challenging Jesus, saying, Where does your message come from? What is this about your message? And time and time again in the Gospel of John, Jesus' refrain is the same. I speak the words that my Father gives me. This is the language of Deuteronomy. This is the language of one who is so deeply in tune with God that when he speaks, he speaks with the authority of God. Jesus is the prophet. In Acts chapter 4, when Peter is speaking to the early church, He says that Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, and you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your father. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So Jesus is the prophet. Jesus demonstrates for us a connection to God that is unrivaled. And Jesus is also prophetic in the way that 
the other prophets of the Old Testament are, are prophetic. He comes to correct behavior that is outside of God's desire for his people. Now, for us living in the 21st century, um, these words can be kind of jarring. Because I'm not like Lucy. I'm not so quick to admit that I'm wrong. I'm not so quick to admit that others know better than I do. I'm not so quick to admit that, that other people have perspective that is bigger and wider and fuller than me, and if I'm wise, I will listen to them. And my sense is that I'm not alone in this. The correct response here is to either say amen or ouch. <laughs> because... I have lived with the, uh, the assumption of our culture for the last 31 years that ultimately I get to be the final arbiter of truth. I get to be the final arbiter of what makes my, le- my best life. I get to do things my way. But Jesus, in his prophetic role, comes into the world to say, your way isn't working. It's not going to work. I've got the perspective. God has given you the instructions that you need in order to live a life of peace and joy and fulfillment. It's not in the rat race. It's not in, in seeking uh, the pleasure that the world tells us is going to make us happy. In Deuteronomy, the people ask, how will we know if the prophet is truly the prophet? And what's Moses' response? Moses' response is, what they say will happen is going to happen. When Jesus enters Jerusalem, the reason why they ultimately decide to kill him is that he says, this temple will be torn down in three days, it will be built again. So later that week they kill him and then three days later he rises again. Jesus proves that he is the prophet in the resurrection. And he invites us into the resurrected life where we are no longer bound to slavery, to sin and death, where we are no longer trapped by the desire to get more and more and more. Uh, We're no longer... uh, slaves to trying to raise up in power and prominence and prestige but that we can choose the life of Christ we can choose the life of a servant we can choose to live in a way that will bring true fulfillment that will expose the reality of the kingdom in our midst
but much like the prophets of old, we can only live into this reality if we choose repentance. When Jonah goes to Nineveh and says that your behavior is leading to destruction, what do the Ninevites do? They tear their clothes, they put on sackcloth and ashes, and they repent because they recognize the reality that God is right. That their lives aren't honoring God. That, that the, their behavior is not in line with God's greatest purpose for them. And if we want to uh, live that life of fulfillment, if we want to experience the fullness of God's grace, the first step is repentance. It's recognizing that there are things that I've chosen which are counter the kingdom. There are things that I've made a priority in my life that aren't a priority for God. But that the prophet invites us into new life today. Let's pray. Most holy and gracious God, we thank you this morning that you have sent your Son into the world. That like David, he is a king. That like Moses, he's a prophet. But Lord, he's not just like David or like Moses or like Solomon. But that Jesus shows us a new type of kingdom. But that Jesus corrects us into a new kind of life. We don't like correction, but it's good for us. And Lord, we ask that those areas of our lives that we have kept hidden from you, those areas of our lives where we have not allowed you to be the king, Lord, that we would repent from that today. Lord, that we'd give it to you. That we would acknowledge and accept the reality that you know better than we do. That our perspective is limited and yours is not. That our wisdom is limited but yours is not. That when you Tell us how to live. It's not out of some sense of insecurity. But Lord, because you desire the best for us. 
that the way you have taught us to live will bring peace and satisfaction to our lives. Lord, we thank you especially that you have the power to bring us into new life. Lord, that our repentance won't be wasted. But in the power of your Holy Spirit, you will use it to raise us up to new life with you. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.